I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. And amen. What a beautiful Sabbath day to gather together this morning. My name is Anna Bennett, and I am an associate chaplain at the university here across the street. And as we continue in our sermon series, as been mentioned earlier today already, Summer Praise, we're going to begin focusing on another characteristic of who God is. We've been talking week after week this summer about who is God? What is his character like? What attributes uh, can we note in his word that are worthy of praising him and lifting his name on high, just as we saw in the video? And so today we're diving into another piece of who God is. And my message this morning is entitled, Healing for the Hopeless. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are here to lift your name on high, to give you praise for who you are, and to offer up our thanksgiving for all that you've done, for all that you have yet to do on our behalf, and all that you are doing even here and now in this moment. I pray, Heavenly Father, that this morning you would baptize us with your spirit again, afresh, anew, right now, that as we dive into your word this morning, you would do what only you as our creator God can do, and speak to each heart today the things that only you can say to us. May your word, your voice, pierce our hearts and change us and transform us and heal us is my prayer today in your name. Amen. Some time ago, my husband and I had the opportunity to attend a worship conference here in town. And we gathered together with a variety of other worship leaders from around the city of Chattanooga. I think Pastor Jim was there as well. We had a team from Collegedale that came together. And as we were in the midst of this worship conference, two worship leaders in particular came to the front and said that they wanted to teach us how to write songs, current and relevant songwriting for our congregations today. And so they came forward and they asked us to share some of the struggles that our congregations were going through at that time. And as we began sharing individuals and collective experiences of what we had been experiencing recently, one young man named Todd began to share his story. And I'll never forget it. Todd began to share how he had recently discovered that even though he was a worship leader and wanted to be a worship leader, wanted to use his musical gifts, just as we saw here on the stage earlier, to praise God and to give worship to him and to lead others in worship, he discovered that he had damage to his hearing. And over the last few years, had actually lost most of his hearing. And if that wasn't enough, I mean, how can you lead worship when you, don't, when you don't have the ability to hear very well? He went on to share how recently, on top of all of this, he discovered that he also had a thyroid issue. And now, on top of his impaired hearing, he also, his vocal cords, weren't able to produce the sound that he used to be able to produce. He wasn't able to sing and praise the way that he wanted to. He wasn't able to lead people in worship the way that he wanted to. 
and he shared this with tears streaming down his face, his voice choking, holding back as much as he could because he was so broken, so desperate for healing, healing in his hearing, hearing of his vocal cords, healing to be able to do what he felt put on this earth to do, to give praise and worship to his heavenly father and to lead others in worship. So we gathered around Todd that afternoon, I remember Pastor Jim, and we laid our hands upon him, our own tears now adding to his, and we prayed for healing because Todd was desperate for healing. I wonder today, as Pastor Don already shared, are you desperate for healing? Maybe it is physical healing that you're desperate for. Maybe it's healing behind and internal to your heart that you're desperate for. Are you desperate for healing even this morning as we gather here? Maybe desperate for God to heal your emotional or spiritual pain. I don't know what's transpired in your life over the last year and a half. And finally, as we're able to gather more and more with our friends and our family and our worship community, how might you be desperate for God's healing in your life? Perhaps you're desperate for God to heal your financial situations or your car troubles. Perhaps you're desperate for him to heal your family or your broken marriage. Perhaps you're desperate for a child of yours to come to know Jesus as their personal savior. Perhaps you're desperate for God to heal your anger or your bitterness, desperate for God to heal your illness, cancer or disease or that of someone you love. Perhaps you're desperate for God to heal your sorrow and to give you joy. Maybe you're desperate for God to heal your fear and to give you hope. Desperate for God to heal your shame, your guilt or your regret and to renew you and restore you and make you whole. I invite you this morning to open up your Bibles to John chapter five. John chapter five. In this chapter of the beautifully written book of John, we find the story of a man who is desperate for healing in a state of desperation. And he's been here for a while. In John chapter 1, the first verse reads like this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And before I go too much further into this story, I want to make sure that you have a vivid picture of what's going on here. So we're going to look a little bit more into what Ellen White says as she adds a little bit more description to this. She says in the book Desire of Ages, at certain seasons, the waters of this pool were agitated and it was commonly believed that this was the result of a supernatural power and that whoever first after the troubling of the water, stepped into the pool, would be healed of whatever disease he had. Hundreds of sufferers, how many? 
hundreds of sufferers, not just one or two, even more than are gathered here today, hundreds of sufferers came to the pool. So great was the crowd when the water was troubled that they rushed forward, trampling underfoot men, women, and children weaker than themselves. Many, many who were desperate could not get into the pool. Can you imagine such a scene? Think back just a few months ago, maybe a year ago now, to the scene that we saw on the news. Maybe you experienced yourself the rush of the toilet paper hoarding, right? This wasn't very long ago that many of us experienced this same kind of desperation. Is our household going to have enough of it? Has someone else stocked up their shopping cart before me? Have I come to the grocery store too late? Hundreds of people rushing. Or even just a few months ago, the gasoline shortage, causing people to put gasoline in plastic bags in the back of their trunks. We were so desperate for gasoline in our own area. This is the kind of scene that we see at the pool of Bethesda. A state of desperation. It's not a summer pool party where people are just hanging out and soaking up the sun. This is a scene of chaos, disorder, and desperation. When humanity gets desperate, we do desperate things. It's in the midst of this chaotic, disorderly, desperate scene that Jesus is here. Let me just let that sink in a little bit. In John chapter 5, in the midst of this story, around the pool of Bethesda, in the chaos, the disorder, and the desperation, Jesus is in the midst of this story. If Jesus is in the midst of this story, how much more is he in the midst of your story? However chaotic, however disorderly, however desperate, however long you've been in that experience, Jesus is in the midst of your story, just as he's in the midst of this one. It was at the Feast of the Jews, the Bible tells us. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. What caused Jesus to stop here at the pool? What caused him, provoked him to pause here at the pool of Bethesda, known as the House of Mercy? Was he merely on his way to celebrate the Jewish feast? Was his attention captured by the crowd that had gathered here seeking healing? Was he on a mission to show compassion? The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why Jesus stopped here, but in this chaotic scene of suffering, Jesus gazed around the pool and his focus zeroed in on one person in particular. One supreme case of wretchedness. In verse 5, we're told about one man in particular who was there, who was physically disabled. And he'd been at the pool for 38 years. Imagine this, 38 years was longer than the average life expectancy at this time. So this man lived in a state of severe physical disability for much, if not all, of his entire life. He didn't know any other way of living other than as a person with a disability. 
For years, this is where his story ended. For years, what kind of hope did he have that then other than some insurmountable miracle would, he would experience and it would be the first, he would be the first to reach the stirred waters and to be healed. In our humanness, this is where many of our stories have found conclusion. This is where many of our stories have come to. We've become resigned to living with pain, with brokenness, with suffering, with hopelessness, with bitterness, with anger, with resentment, with regret. But God. Again, here, it's at this particular, particular juncture in the story that Jesus shows his display of power. This in your story, in our stories, is where God unleashes his greatest display of power and might. Because as his gaze zeroed in on this one man in particular, seeing him laying there on the ground, John tells us in verse six that not only did Jesus see him, but he knew that this man had been there for a long time already. How did Jesus know the severity of this man's case? How could he have known that this man was here for 38 years? How could he have known what the man did not speak deep in his heart, his desperation for healing? 1 John 3.20 tells us that God knows everything. The things that you have said out loud in your prayer time, the things that you have kept held up inside of yourself because it's too painful to even speak them aloud. God knows it all. Psalm 147 tells us, great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Friend, Jesus sees you this morning. He cuts through all of it, looks you dead in the eyes and says, I see you. No one else, not even a loved one or a family member, a friend or a colleague who you interact with on a daily basis, they may not see you, but Jesus sees you. He knows the kind of pressure you're under. He knows the pain within your heart. He knows the burdens you've been carrying. He knows your situation. But not only does he know, he see it, he knows it. He knows all of the details, the logistics of your experience. He knows the severity of your case and condition, just like he knows the number of hairs on your head, just like he knows the end from the beginning, just like he knows how many stars are in the sky. God knows you and your experience. He knows the kind of healing you're desperate for. But not only does Jesus see this man, not only does he know his condition, Jesus extends him dignity and respect. Seeing beyond his physical disability, Jesus kneels down in the dust of this man's experience, in the dust of this man's life, looks upon him with compassion and asks him this question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? I read my Bible and I get to this question and I think it's funny. Jesus, what kind of question is this? 
You know this man. You know the severity of his case. He's been here for 38 years. Of course he wants to be healed. Why would you ask this kind of question? Don't you want to give him some kind of encouragement? Wouldn't it be better to show him some kind of miracle? Offer him some kind of hope that you can do the same thing in his life? Why would you ask this question, Jesus? Don't you think this man wants to be healed? Jesus' question is counterintuitive. It seems upside down, but it's not self-evident. Because you see, so many people hang around the pool without really wanting to be healed. Just like so many people attend church on a regular basis, but we may not really want Jesus to touch our lives, to speak to us, to know our situation in and out, and to challenge us, to invite us to do something differently. Just like many of us may shy away from the truth tellers in our, in our lives when we know that what they're saying is right. Just like many people may say they wanna work on their marriage or they wanna spend more time at home but they don't really take any actions to change their daily habits or routine. Even this man's response gives us cause for more skepticism. When he offers an excuse in response to Jesus' question, he says in verse seven, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps in before me. After 38 years, this man has become comfortable in his situation. He has resigned himself to being a victim and blaming others. In other words, he's not having a summer pool party, he's having a pity pool party. And I can't blame him. After so many years of suffering, after so many years of rejection, being alone and friendless in a constant state of misery, just think of the year's worth of hopes that flared up every time the water was stirred and the suffocating disappointment every time someone else made it in the waters before him. Do you want to be healed? Jesus asked the man. I wonder, did the man laugh at his question? Maybe he was so numb from years, decades of failed attempts that he just shrugged and offered the only answer he could muster. Friend, resignation is a dangerous thing. Resignation is a dangerous thing when we know the power of our God. Resignation is a dangerous thing when we know how merciful, how just, how good, how truthful he is, how faithful he is throughout the generations of fulfilling his promise of healing the nations, the desire of nations. Resignation is a dangerous thing. This man had resigned himself to lingering near the healing but not participating in it. And maybe this is why Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be healed? Jesus already knew the answer. He wanted the man to know the answer himself. 
Jesus was inviting this man to participate in his own healing. He needed to face the fact that sometimes healing, healing can be dangerous. Healing can hurt. Sometimes healing is even more painful than the original wound. I mean, just think about it. Chemotherapy, radiation can be more painful than first hearing the words, you have cancer. Doing the work of marriage counseling can be even more arduous than just keeping up the facade. Getting up every day, going on a walk, going to the gym can be exhausting and it can be disappointing. Even more disappointing than seeing the original numbers on the scale. Reading the Bible to be convicted or healed can be so much more difficult than reading the passages that make us feel safe and encouraged. Broken bones must first be reset, and that resetting can often mean rebreaking. So knowing that healing can often be dangerous, knowing that it can hurt even more than the experience you might be experiencing right now, that same God, Jesus, who saw this man from across the way in the midst of the hundreds who were crowded near the pool that day, that same God sees you. He knows you. And he asks you the same question today. Do you want to be healed? And before you jump up and you shout your answer and you get all giddy with glee and enthusiasm because Jesus, Jesus finally seems to be here after so many years, after however long of this experience or season you may be experiencing, just think about it before you answer first. Do you really, honestly want to be healed? Because Jesus doesn't pacify this man. He doesn't help him into the pool like we might expect, doesn't give him a piggyback ride down to the waters. He doesn't turn away from him either, nor does he call down angels from heaven in some miraculous display. What does Jesus do? He does something simple and powerful. Jesus invites this man into his own healing process. In verse eight, Jesus tells the man, get up. Get up, take up your mat and walk. Get up, get up I said. Pick up your mat and walk. Walk away from this place. Walk away from your experience. Walk away from the state of resignation that you have been in. The Greek word that Jesus uses here is egairo. Egairo, say it with me. Egairo. Okay, I think two people down here got it. One more time. Egairo. All right, turn to the person next to you and say, Egairo. Get up. The word is get up, egairo. It means to waken or to arouse, literally to rise from sleeping, to rise from sitting, to rise from lying, to rise from disease or illness or death. Figuratively, it means to rise from obscurity, inactivity, from ruins or non-existence. It means to waken, to lift, to raise again, to stand. You can hear the energy in this statement. Egairo, get up. Jesus says to the man, 
all throughout the Gospels, we see various accounts of the miraculous healings of Jesus. Jesus meets someone in their state of desperation and he says to them, Egyro, get up. In the midst of their pain or their brokenness or their hopelessness, when Jesus tells them Egyro and they get up, they experience miraculous, transformative healing of Jesus in their lives. This man, when he bid Jesus' invitation to Egyro to get up, he was healed physically. And later on in verse 14, you can read, he was healed spiritually as well when Jesus forgave him of his sins. No longer was this man resigned to living on his mat of comfortability. Jesus offered him a new way of living. Just as Jesus offers you and I a new way of living today when he offers us the same invitation, Egyro, get up! Jesus sees your desperate need and desire for healing. And while he sees the brokenness of the world we live in, while he knows the pain of those you interact with on a daily basis, he knows your situation. He sees your condition. He cares about you. And today, he's calling you to rise. You might instinctively say, Pastor, what is, what is it worth? There's no hope. Even if I do rise, I don't see any of my circumstances changing. You might say, I've, I've already tried. Time and time again, I've been trying to get up, trying to answer Jesus' call and his invitation. And I just continue to fall. Why should I try again? You might say, I'm too weak. 38 years, it's a long time, and I don't have enough strength. This is a promise that I love and cling to in Philippians 2, verse 13. When Jesus calls you to rise, he will give you the desire to rise first and the strength to do it. You don't do any of this of your own strength, of your own will, of your own desire. Jesus gives it to you. That is good news. You are able to egyro, to rise up only by the power of Jesus Christ. Do you desire to claim God as your source of strength? Is that your desire today? Do you desire to rise up to Egyro, out of your current condition, whatever it is, maybe it's external, maybe it's something internal, do you desire to find hope in your healer? Our sermon series has been all about praising God this summer, and what, what more could we do than to praise God for being our healer on his time and in his way, but being our healer nonetheless? So today, if you hear the voice of God, calling you, Egyro, Egyro, rise up. Then I invite you to do one of these two things. I invite you to physically Egyro, to rise up out of your seat right now, to rise up, 
If you're accepting his invitation and you're claiming God's strength, or simply raise your hand, signifying your response to the Spirit in this moment, by raising up, you're asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life afresh today. By raising up, by egyroing, I just made a new word, you're confidently claiming the salvation of Jesus Christ in your life, and maybe even over your family and your loved ones, your friends today. By raising up, you're choosing to be a part of the healing process with Christ, his power and his grace transforming your life. Gracious Heavenly Father, you see those who are standing today, those who have raised their hands, those who are accepting your invitation, your call to Egyro, to rise up. We are tired of living a life less than abundant, and we're eager to step into the wholeness, the goodness, the grace, the love, the mercy, the power that is in Jesus Christ and now in us. Father, I pray that through the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this place, in your people, in us, in me today, that you will heal, restore, resurrect, renew us today, and that from this place we leave transformed by your power. In your name we pray, and all praise and glory and honor we give to your name, amen.